This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today looks at Acts 9, 19b through 31, which continues from last week and looks at the beginning of Saul's ministry story. Together, we discuss the importance of seeing people through God's eyes. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizano Podcast. Back with you guys this week uh, to continue our conversation um, of Paul's story, just the, the snippet of Paul's life. Uh, before we move into Romans, we'll, we'll begin in Romans next week. Um, but as a quick reminder, last week and then also this week, we're spending just a little bit of time in Acts uh, in effort to begin to just have an, an idea of, of who Saul is or who Paul, because at the beginning of Romans it says it, it identifies Paul as the author. Um, and so uh, we, we step back into Acts to understand who Paul is, and in, in Acts he's identified as Saul. Uh, and we talked about it last week about you know how he carries both those names depending on who he's talking to. Um, but with last week, we looked at Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, and chapter 9, verses 1 to 19a. Um, and from that, we discussed the importance of waiting in expectation for God to speak and then living in obedience to what we hear him saying. Uh, this week, we're going to uh, finish up that story, um, at least that that piece of Saul's story, by continuing our reading in chapter 9, looking at verses 19b uh, through 31. And uh, this is kind of the beginning of Saul's ministry story. So last week was his like pre-conversion and conversion story, and this week we're looking at the beginning of his ministry story. Um, and so uh, I believe this week we have Brittany reading for us. So Brittany, would you read Acts 9, 19b through 31? Yes. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who, all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem... He tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. 
When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. All right. Thank you for um, reading that for us, Brittany. Uh, Before we get into our conversation on this, I just want to say, I guess, kind of echo uh, what was said, maybe say it more explicitly, um, what what I had said before her reading that, which is, um, I think it's important as we move into this conversation on this passage that we remember that this passage is a continuation from last week. And so we really should be holding this conversation together with the conversation of Saul's encounter with Jesus, him being blinded for three days, Ananias coming at God's request, at God's calling to heal and and touch um, Saul, and then Saul's response after that. And that's kind of where we are today. Like this is all part of the same conversation. So I just wanted to throw that out there to make sure that we keep this together instead of separating it, even though in our Bibles, like if you were to look at your Bible or at your phone, there is a separation that exists with a title. Um, That's just to help us maybe understand the theme of what's going on in the passage, not necessarily that it's something separate from what came before. Um, So with that, uh, I guess I'll just ask what I always do. Uh, What what are we seeing? What are we thinking? Where are we going to go? Well, in, in that theme of continuation, uh, last week we talked about Saul and um, how he, we we see his direction, although we would say his lost direction. We see his his zeal for um, his objective that he believes that he has, and we see his conviction in doing this and in fulfilling what he believes to be true. And so we see that as as we see his transformation with this encounter with God, we still see those same traits within Paul. And so, like, as we move into this passage, we still see a man of direction, albeit a new direction. We see a man of, of conviction and of great zeal. And instead of, um, in a manner of, of rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, it, now it's a man who is embracing Jesus as the Messiah and what that means for the church. Yeah, I think that's a, a good call out. Um, as I as I think back to um, one of the exercises that was a part of our midweek meditations last week, it you know a- asked those questions of um, make some observations of what Saul was like reading, you know the the verses before his conversion, and then make some observations of what Saul was like reading the verses for this week and um, kind of post his encounter with Jesus and his conversion and. I came to the same conclusion. Like as I was sitting there writing everything down, I'm not sure that Saul was different in most regards. It was just his focus became different. And rather than being so like bent on persecuting Jesus, he became bent on uh, furthering Jesus and, and telling his story and, and encouraging others to, come to know who he was. And so it's like his zeal remains his, um, 
fervor remains. His motivation remains. Uh, he's still um, one of the commentators I read made the explicit statements that like he still serves the same God of Israel, right? Like he still recognizes God, the God of Israel as God. And, and that doesn't change. And he still uh, identifies the law as important in his life. Like that doesn't change, but what changes is just his, the, the focus of his life. And as the focus changes, it plays out in those avenues that don't change in different ways. Like no longer is he persecuting the church, but he is like on fire trying to perpetuate the church, which is just, it's incredible. I think as you hold those two, the before Saul and the after Saul up together, um, it also accentuates this other component, which is that Paul didn't receive any further education. Um, he has this encounter and experience, so he has a testimony to share, but he didn't walk with Jesus for three years. He wasn't privy to his teachings or these other things. I mean, really, he knew the law well, and we know that, right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but he he didn't have any of the formal training that the 12 had, and yet within days, it seems like he's out in the streets proclaiming who Jesus is, what his message is in the gospel. And there's no formal training. There's no formal requirements that he's been made to undergo. He's equipped just with his story alone. He has what it takes to be able to really just help the church explode and grow. I guess as you say that, the thought that came to my mind was, and I don't know, maybe this is wrong, but like you can have all the knowledge in the world, but that doesn't matter if you lack understanding. And I know that may sound like I'm like trying to, I don't know, nuance words, but like that's what it would seem like is happening. Like, like Saul knew, as you said, that Saul knew the law. Saul knew all of the Old Testament. Saul understood what he was supposed to be looking for in the Messiah. And even though he knew it, like head knowledge knew it, like he didn't understand it. And then when Jesus enters the scene, like in, in Matthew, like he, he talks specifically about how he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fill it up, like to, to help them recognize that the way that they were living in the law was was just a, a shell of an understanding of what really was trying to be communicated. And so it's almost like when Jesus, when he has this encounter with Jesus, he doesn't need anything more because with Jesus, he, he gains understanding. Like it, it's, it's there. And it even said, uh, says last week, I, I think it was what, um, Jesus says to Ananias as Ananias is talking to him, but he talks about how Paul is, will be filled with the spirit. Like you're right. He doesn't need any further education because all he needs is given to him by this encounter with Christ and the recognition of him as Lord and the, the coming in of the spirit into his life to lead him and his willingness to surrender to that leading, like he needs nothing else. He's got everything he needs. And so then us, like Paul, um, I think oftentimes as laity, we 
sell ourselves short thinking, well, I don't have, I don't have what it takes. I don't have all the knowledge and the training and the background. And I know we've talked about this before, but I just felt like that emerged so heavily here is, is Paul didn't have the new Testament yet either. Right. Like, I mean, he's going to, through the Holy spirit, basically give us the new Testament. (laughs) And so he, he doesn't need that formal teaching because he has the Holy spirit with him wherever he goes. And as long as he listens and is obedient to the leading of the spirit, the spirit is going to give him the words to say when he needs it is going to give him the experiences that he needs when he needs them. And he's going to be equipped. He's equipped for the mission God has for him. And just like Paul is equipped or was equipped for the mission that God had for him, we are each equipped for the mission that God has for us right now. We just have to listen. Mm-hmm. And, and without the three days of not being able to see, his ability to, to hear, to listen, is not heightened like it is. I mean, God does everything on purpose. Like, there's nothing that he doesn't do that doesn't have a reason. And like for Paul, I see this and I'm thinking, man, like he has this ability to hear. He already like, as he has this experience, it it changes his, his perspective on the law. I feel like, I don't think it changes the law for him, but I think it changes his perspective on the law. And so this ability to hear and listen, like, I just imagine there was a lot of talking to Jesus during this time. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of learning how to listen, and as he has like he is sent on this mission as as Ananias is used to help him be sent on mission, and even Barnabas in that like he has this ability to hear now that he didn't really have before, and so yeah, I, I think this this aspect of listening is so important to who Paul becomes, not just who he is in this moment, but who he becomes. And because of his ability to listen, like, as you already pointed out, Natasha, like, we have the New Testament, or majority of it, because of that. Um, when when you were saying what you were, Natasha, about this whole um, him being equipped thing, uh, a statement that the first pastor that I ever served under came to mind. Uh, his name is Andy Hughes. Awesome guy. Um but he he always made this statement because I remember it, it was I he was the first pastor I served under, but it was also the first pastor like it, it was my first like call into ministry that I began to respond to. My background, my undergrad work was in psychology, and I had been working in a daycare, and I had many conversations with him where I expressed like I just didn't feel prepared to answer the call that I was feeling that God was placing on my life. And he would say, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called hearing that it it just, it, it, it reminds me that like, I guess it, it reminds me about this focus conversation because if God only ever called the equipped, the people then who are doing the work, who are responding to this call could get lost and begin to take credit because, well, they were already enough when the call came. But when you have people who feel completely ill-prepared receiving a call and then God is the one who equips, 
now there's no misconception. There's no misunderstanding. Like I'm not going to ever think that, well, I was the one who got myself here. I'm under no illusions. God is the reason why I'm here. And I think also just throughout, I mean, that, that is a consistent statement with individuals throughout the old Testament and also with the nation of Israel throughout the old Testament, like the story of Gideon, God even has this explicit conversation with Gideon where he's like, no, you still have too many because if you go to war with this many, like you're going to succeed, but Israel is going to think they succeeded because Israel is who they are, not because I am who I am. And so you got to have less. And he's like, seriously, less? And he goes, still too many because with that many, you're still going to be successful and people might just think, hey, it's because of how strong we are and how good we are. It's going to be, it's be because of how equipped we are. He's like, you got to have less. And so now they're, they're in this position where it's like, they are not equipped to accomplish the task that God has for them going against the Midianites. And yet, as they respond in obedience, he equips them and takes care of them and they conquer them. And I just, I guess, a long way to say, like, as I hear what you were saying, Natasha, about this idea of like God doing the equipping, and I hold that together with what Andy shared with me early on in my ministry where, where God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. I can't help but think about how, like, I recognize that was a statement that was made to me as I was responding to a call to minute, like pastoral ministry. But the reality is like God has called each and every single one of us to something at, at minimum. He's called us to follow and to walk in obedience. And so regardless of how ill-equipped we might think that we are, as we look at this story of Saul, we can find encouragement in, in the reality that knowing that we are called, we can trust that God will equip for whatever it is that he is calling us to. And so like as God equips us after he calls us, you know, he, he has us prepared and those that we may have walked with before, ironically enough, seem to be the first ones who recognize the change within us, those that knew us the best. And we see that within, within Saul as, as they were conspiring to kill him. The same guy who was with them probably days, weeks before, trying to do the very same thing, now they recognize this equipping that God has done within Saul. And, and the danger that it presents to them. <laughs> yeah, because, wait a second, you were the guy that was spearheading this like idea of destroying the church, and here you are, wait a second, you're, you're with them now. What, like, what's happened? Mm. Um, and so it's, it's ironic to me, and maybe it's unfair in my, like, my perspective, but I'm seeing these people that know him, and they see this change in him, whereas the disciples hear of what's taken place but are quick to say, I don't believe it. Like, this can't be, this can't be real. And so it's just ironic to me that we have these like two positions of people who knew him and they were like, yes, he's definitely different. And now he's trying to like come against what he was for just a short time ago. And those that he was trying to kill don't believe him now. Like, So he's in this really awkward position. No man's land. Like, People believe him to his detriment, and people don't believe him that, you know... To his detriment. <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's just a lonely, lonely place to be. 
Yeah. Uh, well, and he just came from a lonely place of being blind for three days, where the only person he could depend on was God, and God sending someone like Ananias to restore his sight. And so, I mean, I guess fortunately for for Saul, he had those days where he had to rely on God, and that God was going to do what He said He was going to do. And so, it's just ironic to me as we kind of transition through this of where we see Saul in these different positions that we see him in. You know, you talk about how Ananias restored his sight and so how he was kind of his, you know, I don't know, like miracle essentially. And then we get to this place and Barnabas, like God's going to send another person to restore relationship and, and help absolve some of that. I'm sure some of the loneliness, cause I'm sure, you know, being sent out, there's a whole lot of other things with that, but I mean, he's going to fill that role and even go with him uh, for a period of time. And so just, yeah, God uses all these people to to bring healing and restoration um, in those moments of loneliness. And, and it further proves a point that God has equipped each of us to do something, whether it's to lay hands on. In, in each instance, it's about obedience. Like, right. he's equipped us to be obedient, it, it looks different for everybody. For Saul, it looked like, you know, being a, an apostle to the Gentiles. Um, for Ananias, it looked like someone who was just going to be obedient to go lay hands on. Foolishly obedient, might I add. <laughs> but you have to, like, you have to trust that whatever God's asking you to do, you don't know the outcome. And it's not your job to know the outcome. It's your job to be obedient right. to the task at hand. And when you are obedient... It either restores someone, potentially restores someone's sight, maybe not their physical sight, but it very well could restore their their spiritual sight. Or you may be that person that bridges the gap, and you stand in the gap for someone and say, I see what God has done in their life. They're changed. You know me. You know our hearts. Our hearts are kindred spirits. And so you you have to trust that I've seen and that I've discerned what God's done. And so we each have some role to play, even what may seem so minimal to some can be, you know, life changing to the church. Well, look at, you know, the disciples and they were, um, I'm sure during the time that, um, Saul was persecuting the church, they, they were, they were probably praying like, you know, Lord, help us, Jesus, can you, can you help us? And then probably true. He does. And it, it, they don't believe it. And how many times have we been like, oh, Jesus, please, you know, you know, I really, you know, do this, this, you know, this is what will help. And then he does it. And you're like, oh, I don't know that, that that's right. That's probably not correct. Jesus, please give us a place that's bigger than our living room to worship. <laughs> please. With, wait, what do you mean another church wants to sponsor us into the building they're meeting in? Are you sure? Seems fishy. <laughs> Got to be a catch. We, we've been here. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, it makes me think of that uh, that kid's joke. Uh, well, it's like a, I guess it's a kid's joke, where he's oh, like the, the, the yeah the the guy's like standing on top of a roof and there's like floodwaters rising and he's like oh God save me and like a guy in a canoe comes by and he's like oh. hey hop in and and the guy's like no it's okay God's gonna save me he's like okay so he keeps on rowing and then another guy in like a raft like a, a boat comes by and he's like hey hop in and he's like no God's gonna save me. And so he's like, okay. And he takes off. And then like 
last, this helicopter comes in and is like, you got to get off the roof. The water's too tall. And he's like, no, God's going to save me. It's okay. And then he takes off and the guy ends up dying in the flood. And then he gets to heaven. He's like, God, why didn't you save me? He's like, come on, dude. I sent you a canoe. I sent you a boat. And then I sent you a helicopter. You just got to (laughs) listen. And so I know that's like a, a silly joke, but like the story that I had just shared, but Really, I, I, I wonder how often, and Natasha, I know you like identified a place where we as a church were kind of found ourselves in the situation where we were praying for something, the answer came, and we're like, ah, I don't know about that answer. But I, it makes me wonder, like, how often is this a place that we might find ourselves in, where we're praying for something, and then the answer comes, but that answer is not in line with maybe the expectations that we have. And so we have a hard time reconciling the answer to prayer with our expectation. And the reality is we need to learn to surrender our expectations and recognize the answers to prayer because that's where God is working, whereas the other one is us trying to make God work into a situation. I feel like we even had this conversation with like Haggai and Malachi, and here it is coming full circle in a different situation. It's almost like we treat God's like answer like he has an angle, like he's trying to play an angle, like uh, like he's trying to get one up on us or something. Like, what's the angle here, God? Like, I know there's something in it for you. It's it's it feels like that's how we treat God. Like it can't just be this, like it can't be that simple. We feel like his his answers have to be more complex, and when God like delivers the man that's trying to destroy you, you're like, nah, this this can't be the answer, God. There's got to be something different. Like, aren't you going to wipe him out or something? Mm. Um, because like you said, it doesn't meet our expectation. And I feel like almost like we have to go into it like with expectation, but no expectation for it to fit in a nice little well, the box. expectation is that like God works. Right. Like that's the yeah. expectation, not how God works, yeah. but the expectation is that God will work. And so when you get to the place where we are at today in the story where, you know, Barnabas is coming to Saul's defense, you begin to recognize that he's believed so quickly and his, his testimony is accepted so quickly because He is of one mind and spirit with the others, with them. And so when the apostles are hearing this this testimony from Barnabas' mouth, they're not questioning because they trust him. They believe him. And so regardless of how crazy it might sound, they know that, that Barnabas is focused on Jesus and is living his life in obedience with him. And he is going to do things in line with a life that is walking in obedience with him. And so for him to come to them with Saul and say, no, Saul is this transformed man. We can trust him. They're going to say it's it's as if Jesus himself is saying you can trust him. The thing that I think is um, really cool about Barnabas is he didn't do anything spectacular. You know, he followed, he, he listened, he followed Jesus. He had that one mind and one spirit. And he had that, his testimony was believed. And a lot of times I think we think that when we are going to, when we want, you know, we think God's going to use us. 
you know, he's going to, he's going to use me. He's going to do something great. And really, you know, it may just be that you are following and you are obeying. And just by doing that, God can use you. Um, because Barnabas was a pretty important role in Paul's ministry to get him kind of kickstarted and going, um, well, for the disciples to back him up. Um, but, you know, being used by God doesn't necessarily have to be some big elaborate thing, just doing, just living horizontally and listening and obeying and, you know, doing what you know you should do and God can use you. And I think as I look at Barnabas's like involvement here, like the first step of obedience was him believing Saul. And I think that as incredible as I think it is that like the, the apostles heard Barnabas's testimony and believed him because they were of one mind and, and one heart. I think it's even more incredible that Barnabas didn't take convincing. Like he believed Saul. And I think that only comes in because he is walking in obedience with God. And just like God in talking to Ananias said, no, like go to him. He has, I have encountered him. Like you can trust me. I, I would, I would say there's probably a similar conversation that Barnabas went through with God where God was like, you can trust him. And, And so Barnabas was able to approach Saul, not with the eyes of like questioning, not with the eyes of expectation of who he had been, but with the eyes of Jesus who saw him for who he could be, not who he was. And I think that is, I mean, we talked pretty heavily about this on Sunday morning. And I think that's still the thing that is really sticking with me in, in all of this is that Barnabas was willing to set aside his like experiences with Saul, whether they're the stories that he's heard or what, like he's willing to set aside his experiences with Saul and understanding who he was to see and and was willing to see him as, as Jesus saw him. And I think that stands out to me so much because that's just hard to do. Like if I'm being honest for me today, like it is difficult to look at people, to encounter people and to not bring to that specific encounter all of the backstory mm-hmm. and not to bring with me all of the baggage that's associated with it. It's like, it's impossible. It's not impossible, but it's, it's just easy to, to bring all that to that conversation, right. which then affects how I see that person, how I respond to that person, how I expect the conversation to go. And Barnabas was able to set those things aside and see him as Jesus sees him. And I, and I believe that that's the same invitation that Jesus has for each and every single one of us today as we enter into encounters with each and every person we encounter today. Mm-hmm. Like he has called us into the lives of people. And as we walk obediently, we can trust that he is going to equip us to see them as he sees them. But really the question becomes, are we willing to be that obedient? Like that's, that's a scary obedience 
because that person has hurt me before and I don't want to get hurt again. And so I'm going to be a little bit more guarded this time. But Jesus says, see them as I see them. When you do that, I think that's what you see like in the last verse, in verse 31, when we're able to, to live like that, we see people living in reverence of who God is, and we're encouraged by the work that the Holy Spirit's doing because He's working in people that we thought were unusable. When we're able to do that, when we're able to be able to see like Jesus sees, when we're able to listen like Barnabas does and, and like have eyes like he does to see Saul for who he is, the Holy Spirit works and people change because then people can say, well, if God can change Saul, mm-hmm. God can change me. Like if God can change each one of these 12 men that God's called that like none of us would have chosen, then he can use me. And so like it had to be encouraging for the people. And I don't see how anything else happens but growth because people are people take notice. Mm-hmm. When God does something like dramatic and somebody who wanted to destroy the church has now become this person that wants to share the good news, people take notice. Even the people that walked with you are now ready to to do the very same things to you. And I mean, Jesus said, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer. Right. And, and this is, he is, I mean, he doesn't get much time. I have a feeling there's not much time before he starts to endure this suffering that he was bringing. And it doesn't change his resolve. It doesn't change his, his zeal or his conviction or his drive and determination to, to share this Messiah that he has come to understand. And so when, when we have those Barnabases who see people differently, we, like, it, it is encouraging to each of us, and we see, we see God do amazing things. Could you imagine what our, like, world, and I'm not saying world is in the globe, but, like, our, our community would look like if we lived in, in this expectation that Jesus does work this way and will work this way in people's lives? Rather than in the expectation that like, oh, people will just always be the people that they've been. Hmm. Like, could you imagine how different our churches would be? Could you imagine how different our neighborhoods would be if we would start seeing people the way that Jesus knows that they can be rather than the way that they have been? As you journey with us, we recommend purchasing Midweek Meditations, A Journey Through Romans, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.